And good evening. It's Saturday, May the 9th, 2020. This is show number 128. Here we go. God, good evening. I am your host, Gummo, and I've got my uh, sidekick, compadre, extraordinaire, technical, Mr. Wizard in the house, Crash. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, welcome to the show. Uh, here we are for the 128th exciting edition of, well, you guessed it, some more bullshit. Yes, indeed. <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the uh, podcast this evening. Uh, and uh, for those listening to us live, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your uh, <laughs> early morning, your 2 a.m. schedule. I'm sure you've got nothing else better to do. But um, we wanted to welcome you to the podcast. We want to welcome all of our listeners and uh all of the new listeners you know we've got a lot of new listeners uh tuning into the podcast each week and that's pretty cool i think it's pretty cool so it's it's super cool man yo okay so all right wait a minute what are you looking at now i can see why you're laughing what wait a minute go back up what kind of shoe is that it's a nike shoe that's it's, wait a minute. It's, it's a Nike men's basketball shoe. It's that's a, not even real, man. <laughs> no, it's it's a ripoff shoe. And um, oh my god, that's like a Chinese Air, Chinese version of a Air Jordan ripoff. Yeah, man. it's kind of crazy, dude. How can you buy that kind of stuff? Well, I guess you can. It doesn't matter. Anyhow, this is that's you know. Hey, folks. Uh, seriously though, uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We are glad that you are have tuned in. I'm glad that you've tuned in, uh, and uh, I know we've got the giggles up in here this evening for some reason. Oh no! Wow, what a week! Uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been uh, quite an interesting week around the the country. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of states are reopening. A lot of things are coming back online. A lot of um, a lot of restaurants and stuff and bowling alleys and pet supply stores and things of that that uh, nature are beginning to gravitate towards an open transition. Uh, you know, but one thing that's scary, right, is that uh, the amount of cases of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, virus is continuing to increase, uh, even though as uh, states continue to open. Uh, you have a lot of people who are, are split, uh, half divided. Uh, you know, some people say that it's fine to go out and some people say that it's not, uh, we are actually on the side of, uh, it's not really fine to go out. <laughs> it's not really fine to be yeah, around other people. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we are also on the side of, uh, you should be wearing a mask if you have to venture out. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, on the previous shows, Excuse me. On the previous shows, you know, we have mentioned uh, some extraordinary resources to obtain uh, uh, vast amounts of hand sanitizer. So you can actually go back and check out uh, show 127 and 126 as well. Uh, And we we talk about that. So um, if you're out of hand sanitizer, just check it out. Uh, Well, no, I'm not going to make somebody listen to the other show because, you know, they may never listen again. But then again, you should because yeah. I forgot the I forgot the uh, website that we were. It was something. 
hotshotsecrets.com forward slash hand hyphen sanitizer. I believe that was it. Anyhow, uh, they had they, they are still doing their thing as well. So check that out. I'm not going to push that anymore. But uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting to see everybody coming and rolling back into things as well. Um, oh boy, you know uh, it's May. You know, did I did mention that in the early part of the show? You know, mm-hmm. May. yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. I did, and. Um, you know, it's, it's it's kind of funny that I'm saying this, but they are having a polar vortex up in the northeast part of the country at this point. A polar vortex in May. Something about that just doesn't seem right. I just don't know. A polar vortex in May. Anyhow, uh, unusually cold temperatures uh, all across the eastern, you know, from the east of the Mississippi. What is that? What is that? The price is right? Yeah. Yes, that is the price is right. Oh, um, that was Bob Barker. I believe so. What yeah. is it? Are you so? Are you watching the Price is Right as we're we're on doing? This? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I'm uh, watching that. That is interesting. I, I hate to be peeking over your shoulder. It's no, it's very yeah, interesting. I like the styles. Yeah, and it's not like I'm I'm just fully involved with it all. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am. It's totally cool, man. I'm totally digging it. It's yeah. like, I don't know. So, you know. It's, it's cool, you know. It's kind of like having a screensaver, but instead of uh, the screensaver just being a repeating pattern or something. Yeah, it's a video plan. Yeah. Yeah. See what I'm that saying? It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, re- it's really cool. And then you can put the sound on or not. <laughs> I tell you what, man. You know, it's, um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's. I don't know. I'm going to leave that alone. I really am. (laughs) That's cool. I really am. You know, hey, uh, we we want to send a shout out to everybody uh, still hold up and uh, still heeding the advice of uh, their their local authorities. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of interesting things coming around and being said a lot of a lot of interesting ways people are also uh, behaving as well, you know, after they've been. Uh, in isolation for weeks on end and that's that's interesting to see is just how some people's psyche sort of tends to shift you know and it's been you know unfortunately it's been a lot easier for criminals to bypass you know um, you know traditional security measures uh, and I've, I'm you know you don't have to be uh, someone special to recognize that. Uh, what is that? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, dude. You know, every day I find something weird, and it's, and it's something new. I don't know. It's some. It's uh, apparently a made in China sticker for shoes. Um, it was on my chair. It probably came off my shoes because I possible. put on a new pair of shoes tonight. You it see. is. It is very oh, possible. Cool. That's the kind of shoe I wear. It's an extra extra large. I love these shoes, you know, and I'm afraid they don't make them anymore. So I'm afraid that they're if very I, cool. I like aren't they the cool? color scheme of them? I like the uh, the overall design of them. I you, think it's cool. You you know, are they comfortable? They are absolutely comfortable, and I'm not going to mention them because then other people no. may may have, you know, I don't. They know. may obtain them. They may, yeah. yeah they may get, you know, they they'll may get, exhaust they'll, the supply. Obviously, go and get them. You know, order them or or whatever. You know, listen, I got these at a bargain, man. You know, yeah. but I've, I've been wearing the same style shoe for like three years now. And usually good. it's the black ones. Look, you're looking good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I had a pair of blue and white ones too, man. But, you know, it's, it's whatever. Anyhow, yeah. Strange things. I've been, uh, you know, also. Game TV. Game TV. <laughs> you know, you, you've also, been what now? I don't know, man. You don't know. I don't. Yeah, you know, the legs fine. feeling better. Yeah, that's good. The leg is, you know, and I've I've changed my appearance. You know, I used to wear all dark. You know, black shoes, black yeah. socks, black pants. Mr. And black now cat. I'm kind of, you know, you know, I'm back here in my groove. You know, in Florida. Yeah. I've got, uh, you know, the, a new color shoe now. Blue jeans, you know, kind of lightening up, you know, because wearing color. Yeah, yeah you kind of really stick at, you know, up up in in a big city, you know, you can wear black all the time, and it's just, you know, you look 
just like that's what body. everyone's wearing yeah. you know yeah. dark colors trying to stay out of the cold and stuff so. yeah yeah, yeah and so here it's uh not like that yeah and so that you know it was so when i got here right in december you know i was just like you know this is kind of cool but you know it was still cool outside it was just beginning winter so anyhow now it's starting to warm up and <clears throat> changing my look liking it a new look yeah anyhow How's it going with you guys? How's it where you are? Hopefully you are doing well. Uh, it's definitely uh, been some trying times uh, lately. You know, the uh, the latest unemployment figures came out this past Friday, uh, and it actually, the unemployment, uh, <laughs> is as bad as it is, it could have been worse. And so uh, by two two and a half percentage points, but then again, you know, there's a lot of people that... Uh, have not been able to actually file to reach those uh, accurate statistics, and so uh, you know we'll see we'll see more of those uh, in in the coming months as well. And um, you know it's 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 strange, right? Because the uh, the country's opening up, other countries are. It's just really strange. It's it's just absolutely strange. Uh, things are things everywhere are strange. Uh, my my inbox is overloaded with people you know, yeah yeah asking for help with you know they've had a data breach and everything i mean that's just been go yeah it's been off the hook i mean and it's just been crazy i mean uh and the, the amount of activity that's going on this you know in the cybersecurity you know arena you know because mm-hmm. you know that's yeah that's what well, you know that's what i do i guess and and uh it's been really active lately and so i wanted to i wanted to you know like also talk about some of that uh this evening as well have any idea what i wanted to talk about no maybe no, maybe yeah. yeah i don't know either man uh you know i, I what a, but i want to what uh what i want to do is find this particular you know, I'm I, I'm I'm always two steps ahead and three steps behind. Let's see, uh, let's see. How's the Discord channel coming along? It's great. Yeah. Um, it's Any new things? You know, we haven't gotten around to putting up the page yet. Yeah, that's. But true. can you just find it when you go to uh, Discord? No, it's not a public uh, Discord. It's not in in a directory anywhere yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we're still fine tuning it. Okay. So it's not publicly available, um, uh, except on our website. So we we really have to get that uh, taken care of. Uh, what I want to yeah. do, <laughs> yeah, I know we 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 resist change uh, on on a grand grand scale. Uh, what so what I'm looking for? Let's see, I've got all this crap here. I just, you know, I, I get confused with all of this, this stuff, all, you know, on the internet. Um, so, what is it? Here we go. Uh, oh, guess what? What's up? Bitcoin is supposed to have this week. Oh, really? Yeah, you remember that? Bitcoin? Yeah, I remember Bitcoin. Yeah, I thought that. Um, I am pretty sure I'm invested in Bitcoin. Yeah, just a little so bit. Heard. You know, I have a few, but... <laughs> but anyway, what's up with Bitcoin? It's supposed to have. It's supposed man, to have. Man, that's going to be crazy if that, you know. What happens if it skyrockets? It's supposed to skyrocket at some point, right? I don't know. Is that how Bitcoin works? Supposedly. That's what. That's the rumor. <laughs> I don't know. It goes uh, down and then goes up. You know, it seems to be a very stable asset, I suppose. Let's see. Uh, Bitcoin. You know, it, it's $8,700 right now for one Bitcoin. I don't know. Wow. Are people really interested in Bitcoin? I'm not really interested in Bitcoin that much, man. I, you know, it's one of those things that I went and did and, and had a little fun. And I don't know. It is cool. Yeah, it is cool. I think it is. You know, uh, it's 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 real. It's really been. Um, I don't know, man. You know, I think what we need to do is 
we need to we need to take a break. We need to take a like a I don't know. Like maybe you know what I'm thinking is maybe we can do the the podcast from like um you know, I don't know. I was thinking like I you know, I was thinking like wait a minute. Before before I do this. I know. Maybe I should save that for another day. I'm just thinking out loud. Anyhow, listen, uh, I don't want to bore you with uh, my deep, um, <laughs> my deep, uh, dark rambling. But uh, what, what I wanted to do is talk about something um, or actually uh, share something with you guys uh, about something that um, is sort of overlooked the, this day and age, right? And so um, <clears throat> in your phone, right? And did you know in your phone you have a modem? Yes, I did know. You did know. Yeah. Okay, so did you also know that most times the phone firmware in your modem is never updated? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, how are you going to update the firmware on the chip? Exactly, and that's why it's not updated. Yeah, so there's outdated firmware on phones out there. Uh Uh-huh, and so what is the scary part that I'm leading to here? I would assume a uh, interception of communications, right? It could be something like that, right? So just you know, let's let's talk about a vulnerability embedded in the firmware, right? Right. So right. you would uh, some sort of problem in the firmware, of the phone or device, yeah. right? It, it it doesn't necessarily have to be just a phone. It could be a tablet or or some sort of Internet of Thing device, right? That that has firmware running inside of it. So now that doesn't mean that I'm suggesting that everyone that listens to the the freaking podcast go out there and reverse engineer their new smart online home refrigerator. That's but what I am suggesting is, or what, I'm, what I want to do is, I want to talk about, or share with you rather, uh, how what identifying uh, binary vulnerabilities in embedded firmware is all about. And so firmware is absolutely an essential component of everyday life, you know, from your microwave oven to your kitchen's, you know, counter, your, your latte machine, right? And it, and it has firmware. And so let's 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 uh, spend a few moments this evening and let's talk about uh, let's talk about firmware. How's that sound? Does that yeah, sound cool? Sounds yeah. cool. Okay, so uh, from the the, the <laughs> from the recent three six C three, we're uh, we're we're actually going to uh, talk about identifying. Right. This is this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, what we're going to talk about is identifying multi-binary vulnerabilities in embedded firmware at scale. So I'll tell you what. Let's um, let's just go ahead and share with uh, everybody the um, <laughs> let's, let's share with everybody the talk before uh, I, I start uh, breaking stuff around here. So here it is: um, identifying multi-binary vulnerabilities in embedded firmware at scale. Enjoy. Today is a computer science PhD student at uh, UC Santa Barbara. Uh, he is a member of the Shellfish hacking team, and he's also the organizer of the IECTF um, hacking competition. Um, please give a big round of applause to Nilo Redini. Um, thanks for the introduction. Hello to everyone. My name is Nilo, and today I'm going to present you um, my work. Caronte, Identifying Multibinary Vulnerabilities in Embedded Firmware at Scale. Uh, this work is a co-joint effort between me and several of my colleagues at the University of Santa Barbara and ASU. Um, this talk is going to be about IoT devices, so before start, let's say, let's see an overview about IoT devices. IoT devices are everywhere. Um, as research suggests, they will reach the 20 billion units by the end of the next year. And a recent study conducted this year in 2019 on 16 million households showed that more than 70% of homes in North America already have an IoT uh, network-connected device. 
IoT devices make everyday's life smarter. You can literally say to Alexa, Alexa, I'm cold, and Alexa will interact with the thermostat and increase the temperature of your room. Usually, the way we interact with uh, um, IT devices is through our smartphone. We send a request through the local network to some device, router, door lock, or we might send the same request through a cloud endpoint, which is usually managed by the vendor of the IoT device. Another way uh, is through the um, IoT hubs. The smartphone will send a request to some IoT hub, which in turn will send a request to some other IoT devices. As you can imagine, IT devices use and collect our data, and some data is more sensitive than other. For instance, think about the data that is collected by um, a smart light bulb against data that is collected by our security camera. Um, as such, IT devices can compromise people's safety and privacy. Things, for example, about uh, the security implication of a, 40, of a faulty smart lock or the brakes of your smart car. So the question that we asked is, um, are IoT devices secure? Well, like everything else, oh, this slide is a bit bad, are not. Um, okay, in 2016, the Mirai botnet compromised and leveraged millions of IoT devices to disrupt core internet services such as Twitter, GitHub, and Netflix. And in 2018, 154 vulnerabilities affecting IoT devices were published which represented an increment of 15% compared to 2017, and an increase of 115% compared to 2016. So um, then we wonder, so why is, is it hard to secure IT devices? To answer this question, we have to look up how IT devices work and they are made. Usually, when you uh, remove all the plastic and uh, peripherals, IT devices look like this, a board with some chips laying on it. Uh, usually, you can find the main chip, the microcontroller, which runs the firmware, and one or more peripheral controllers, which interact with external peripherals, such as uh, the motor of your smart lock or cameras. So though the design is generic, implementations are very diverse. For instance, firmware may run on several different architectures, such as ARM, MIPS, x86, PowerPC, and so forth. And sometimes they're even proprietary, which means that if a security analyst wants to understand what's going on in the firmware, we'll have a hard time if he doesn't have uh, the vendor specifics. Also, uh, they operate in environments with limited resources, which means that they run small and optimized code. Uh, for instance, vendors might implement their own version of some known algorithm um, in, in an optimized way. Also, uh, IT devices manage external peripherals that often use custom code. Again, with peripherals we mean like uh, cameras, sensors, and so forth. Uh, the firmware of IT devices can be either Linux-based or a blob firmware. Linux-based are by far the most common. A study showed that 86% of firmware are based on Linux, and on the other hand, Blobs firmware are usually operative systems and user applications packaged in a single binary. Um, in any case, firmware samples are usually made of multiple components. For instance, let's say that you have your uh, smartphone and you send a request to your IoT device. This request will be uh, received by a binary, which we term as border binary, which in this example is a web server. Uh, the request will be received, parsed, and then it might be sent to another binary called the, the handle binary, which will take the request, work on it, produce an answer, send it back to the web server, which in turn will produce a response to send to the smartphone. So to come back to the question, why is it hard to secure IT devices? Well, the answer is because IT devices are in practice very diverse. Of course, there have been various work that, uh, that have been proposed to analyze and secure firmware for, for IoT devices. Some of them using static analysis, others using dynamic analysis, and several others using a combination of both. Here I wrote several of them. At the end of the presentation, there is a bibliography with the title of these works. Um, of course, all these um, approaches have some problems, for instance. 
The current dynamic analysis are hard to apply to scale because of the customized environments that IT devices work on. Um, usually, when you try to uh, dynamically execute a firmware, it's going to check if the peripherals are connected and they're working properly. In a case where you don't have the peripherals, it's, it's going to be hard to actually run the firmware. Also, current static analysis approaches are based on what we call the single binary approach, which means that binaries from a firmware are taken individually and analyzed. Uh, this approach might produce many false positives. For instance, so let's say again that we have our two uh, binaries. This is actually an example that we found on one firmware. So the web server will take uh, the user request, will parse the request and produce some data. We'll set this data to an environment variable and eventually we'll execute the handle binary. Now, if you see, the parsing function contains uh, a string compare which check if some keyword is present in the request, and if so, it just returns the, the whole request. Otherwise, it will constrain the size of the request to 128 bytes and return it. The handle binary, in turn, uh, when spawned, will uh, receive the data by doing a get env on the, qu on the query string, but also uh, we'll do a get env on another um, environment variable, which in this case is not user controlled, and the user cannot influence the content of this variable. Then it's going to call a function process request. This function eventually will do two string copies, uh, one uh, from the user data and the other one from the log path on two different local variables that are uh, 128 bytes long. Now, in the first case, as we have seen before, the data can be greater than 120 bytes and this string copy might result in a bug, while in the second case, it will not, because here we assume that the system handles its own data in a good manner. So throughout this work, we're going to call the first type of uh, binary, the setter binary, which means that it's the binary that takes the data and uh, set the data for another binary to be consumed. And the second type of binaries, we call them the gather binary. So um, the current bug finding tools are inadequate because other bugs are left undiscovered if the analysis only considered the, those binaries that received uh, network requests or they're likely to produce many false positives if the analysis considers all of them individually. So then we, we wonder how these different components actually communicate. They communicate through what they're called inter-process communication, which basically it's a finite set of paradigms used by binaries to communicate, such as files, uh, environment variables, MMIO, and so forth. Um, all these APCs are represented by, by data keys, which are uh, file names, or in the case, on the example before here on the right, it's the query string environment variable. Um, each binary that relies on some shared data must know the endpoint where such data will be available. For instance, again, like a file name or like even a socket endpoint on the, or the environment variable. This means that usually data keys are, are coded in the program itself, as we saw before. Therefore, to find bugs uh, in firmware in a precise manner, we need to track how user data is introduced and propagated across the different binaries. Uh, okay, let's talk about our work. Before to start talking about Caronte, uh, we define our threat model. Uh, we hypothesize that attacker sends arbitrary requests over the network, both LAN and WAN, directly through the IoT device. Though we said before that sometimes IoT device can communicate through the cloud, uh, research showed that some form of local communication is usually available, for instance, during the setup phase of the device. Um, Caronte is defined as a static analysis tool that tracks data flow across multiple uh, binaries to find vulnerabilities. Let's see how it works. So the first step, Caronte finds those binaries that introduce the user input into the firmware. We call these border binaries, which are the binaries that basically interface the, the device to the outside world, which in the example is our web server. Then it tracks how data is shared with other binaries within the firmware sample, which uh, we will understand in this example that WebSurfer communicates with the handle binary, and it builds what we call the BDG. A BDG, which stands for Binary Dependency Graph, 
it's basically a graph representation of the data dependencies among two different binaries, among different binaries. Um, then we detect vulnerabilities that arise from the misuse of the data using the BDQ. This is an overview of, of our system. Uh, we start by taking a, a packed firmware, we unpack it, we uh, find the border binaries, then we build the, uh, the binary dependency graph, which relies on a set of CPFs, as we will see soon. CPFs stand for uh, Communication Paradigm Finder. Then uh, we find the specifics of the communication, for instance, like uh, the constraints applied to the, to the data that is shared through our module multi-binary data flow analysis. Eventually, we run our insecure interaction detection module, which basically takes uh, all this information and produces alerts. Uh, our system is completely static and, and uh, relies on our static taint engine. So let's see each one of these steps more in details. Uh, the unpacking procedure is pretty easy. We use the off-the-shelf firmware unpacking tool, BeamWalk. And then we have to find the border binaries. Now, um, we see that border binaries basically are binaries that receive data from the network. And, they, and, and uh, we hypothesize that we contain parsers to validate the data that they received. So in order to find them, we have to find parsers which accept data from the network and parse this data. Uh, to find parsers, we rely on, the, on, on related work, which basically use a few metrics and uh, define through a number the likelihood for a function to contain parsing capabilities. These metrics that we use are number of basic blocks, number of memory comparison operations, and number of branches. Now, while these define parsers, we also have to find uh, if a function, if a binary takes data from the network. As such, we define two more metrics. The first one, we check if binary contains any network-related keywords as SOAP, HTTP, and so forth. And then we check if th there exists a data flow between a read from socket and a memory comparison operation. Once for each function we got all these metrics, we compute what is called the parsing score, which basically is just a sum of products. Um, once we got a parsing score for each function in a binary, we, we represent the binary with, the, with its higher, highest parsing score. Once we got that for each binary in the firmware, we cluster them using the uh, dbscan density-based algorithm and consider the cluster with the highest parsing score as containing the set of border binaries. After this, we build the, the binary dependency graph. Again, the binary, the binary dependency graph represents the data dependency among the binaries in a firmware sample. For instance, uh, this simple graph will tell us that a binary A communicates with binary C using files, and the same binary A communicates with another binary, binary B using uh, environment variables. Let's see how this works. So we start from the identified border binaries. And then we taint the data compared against network-related keywords that we found and run a static analysis, um, a static taint analysis to detect whether the binary relies on any IPC paradigm to share the data. If we find that it does, we establish if the binary is a setter or a getter, which again means that if the binary is setting the data to be consumed by another binary or if the binary actually gets the data and consumes it. Then, uh, we retrieve the employed data key, which in the example before was the keyword uh, query string. And finally, we scan the firmware sample to find other binaries that might rely on the same data keys and schedule them for further analysis. Uh, to understand whether a binary relies on any IPC, we use what we call CPFs, which again means uh, Communication Paradigm Finder. We design uh, a CPF for each IPC and, um, and the CPFs are also used to find the same data keys within the firmware sample. We also provide Caronte with the generic CPF to cover those cases where the IPC is unknown or those cases where the vendor implemented its, their own version of some IPC. Say, for example, that they don't use the setEnv, but they're implemented their own setEnv. The idea behind this uh, generic CPF that we call the semantic CPF is that uh, data keys has to be used as index to set or, or to get some data in this simple example. So let's see how the BDG algorithm works. 
We start from the border binary, which again, we start from the serve request and we'll parse the URI. And we see that here, it runs a string comparison against some network related keyword. As such, we take the, uh, the variable P and we see that the variable P is returned from the function to, to, the, from, to these two different points. As such, we continue, and now we see that data gets tainted, and data, the variable data, it's passed to the function's attempt. At this point, the uh, environment CPF will understand that tainted data is passed to, uh, is set to an environment variable, and will understand that this binary is indeed the setter binary that, that uses the environment. Then, we retrieve the data key query string, and we'll search within the firmware sample all the other uh, binaries that rely on the same data key. And we'll find that this binary we rely, uh, relies on the same data key, and we schedule this for further analysis. Um, after, after this algorithm, we build the BDG by creating edges between setters and getters for each data key. The multi-binary data flow analysis uses the BDG to find and propagate the, the data constraints from a setter to a getter. Now, uh, through this, we apply only the least street constraints, which means that uh, ideally between uh, two program points, there might be an infinite number of paths, and ideally, in theory, a different, an infinite amount of constraints that we can propagate to the setter binary to the getter binary. But since our goal here is to find bugs, we only propagate the least uh, strict set of constraints. Let's see an example. So again, we have our two binaries, and we see that um, the variable that is passed to the, to the setM function is data, which comes from two different parts from the parse URI function. In the first case, the data that it's passed is, is unconstrained, while in the second case, the line eight is constrained to be at most 128 bytes. As such, we only propagate the constraints of the first guy. Um, in turn, the, the getter binary will retrieve this, this variable from the environment and set the variable query, oh, sorry, which in this case will be unconstrained. Uh, the insecure interaction detection run a static print analysis and check whether tainted data can reach a sync in an unsafe way. We consider as things memcopy-like functions, which are functions that implement semantical equivalent memcopies, uh, string, string copy, memcopy, and so forth. Uh, we raise alerts if uh, we see that there is a difference of a tainted variable, and if we see there are comparisons of tainted variables in loop conditions to detect possible uh, DOS vulnerabilities. Uh, let's see an example again. So, we got here, we, have, we know that our query variable is tainted and it's unconstrained. And then we follow the taint in the function process request, which we see will eventually copy the data from Q to arg. Now we see that arg is uh, 128 bytes long while Q is unconstrained and therefore we generate an alert here. Um, our static tint engine is based on bootstrap and it's completely based on symbolic execution, which means that the taint is propagated following the program data flow. Let's see an example. So assuming that we have this code, the first instruction takes um, the result of from, from some seed function that might return, for, for instance, um, some user inputs. And in a symbolic world, what we do is that we create a symbolic variable ty and assign to it our, um, a tainted variable that we call taint ty, which is the taint tag ID. The next instruction, x, takes the value ty plus five, and in a symbolic world, uh, we just follow the data, the data flow, and x gets assigned taint ty plus five, which, which effectively taints also x. If at some point, x is overwritten with some constant data, the taint is automatically removed. In its original design, uh, bootstomp, the taint is removed also when uh, data is constrained. For instance, here we can see that the variable n is tainted, but then is constrained between two values, 0 and 255, and therefore the taint is removed. Um, in our uh, taint engine, we have two additions. We added a path prior prioritization strategy, and we add taint dependencies. 
The path prioritization strategy valorizes paths that propagate the taint and deprioritize those that remove it. For instance, say again that we have our, um, that some user input comes from some function and the variable user input gets tainted. Then, and gets tainted and then is passed to another function called parse. Here, if you see, uh, there are possibly an infinite number of symbolic paths in this, in this while, but only one will return uh, tainted data, while the others won't. So um, the path prior prioritization strategy uh, valorizes this path instead of the others. This has been implemented by finding basic blocks within a function that return non-cost non on data. And if one is found, we follow its return before considering the others. Tain dependencies allow smart untained strategies. Let's see again the example. So we know that user input here is uh, tainted, is then parsed, and then uh, we see that um, its length is checked and stored in a variable n. This, its size is checked, and if it's higher than 512 bytes, the function return, otherwise it copies the data. Now, in this case, uh, it might happen that uh, if this string length function is not analyzed because of some static analysis imprecisions, um, the taint tag of command might be different from the taint tag of n. And in this case, though n gets untainted, command is not untainted, and this string copy can raise, sorry, can raise a false positive. So um, to fix this problem, Basically, we create a dependency between the taint tag of n and the taint tag of CMD. And when n gets untainted, command gets untainted as well, so we don't have uh, more false positives. This procedure is, is aromatic, and we find functions that implement string length semantically equivalent code and create taint tag dependencies. Okay, let's see our evaluation. Uh, we run three, three different evaluations of two different data sets. The first one, composed by 53 latest firmware samples from seven vendors, and the second one on 899 firmware gathered from the related work. In the first case, we can see that um, the total number of binaries considered are 8.5K, a few more than that. And our system generated 87 alerts, of which 51 were found to be true positive, and 34 of them were multi-binary vulnerabilities, which means that the, vulnerabilities was, the, the vulnerability was found by tracking the, the data flow from the setter to the getter binary. We also ran a comparative evaluation, which basically we tried to measure the effort that an analyst would go through in uh, uh, analyzing firmware using different strategies. In the first one, we consider each and every binary in the firmware sample independently and uh, run the analysis uh, for up to seven days for each firmware. Um, the system generated almost 21,000 alerts, considering uh, only almost 2.5K binaries. In the second case, uh, we found the, the worded binaries, the parsers, and we statically analyzed only them and the system generated uh, 9.3K uh, alerts. Notice that in this case, since we don't know how the user input is introduced, like in this, in this experiment, we consider every IPC that we find in the binary as a possible source of user input. And this is true for all of them. In this third case, we run the BDG, and, uh, but we consider each binary independently, which means that we don't propagate constraints and we run uh, a static single binary analysis on each one of them, and the system generated almost 13,000 alerts. Finally, we run Caronte, and the generated alerts were only uh, 74. We also run a large-scale analysis on 899 uh, firmware samples, and we found that almost the 40% of them were multi-binary, which means that the network functionalities were uh, carried on by more than one binary. And the system generated uh, 1,000 alerts. Now, there is a lot going on in this, in this table, like details are on the paper here in this presentation. I just go through some, a summary of it. So we found that on average, a firmware contains four border binaries, 
a BDG contains five binaries, and some BDG have more than 10 binaries. Also, we plot some statistics, and we found that 80% of the firmware were analyzed within a day, as you can see from the top left figure. Uh, however, uh, experiments presented a great variance, which we found was due to implementation details. For, for instance, we found that Anger would take more than seven hours to build some CFGs. And sometimes they were due to a high number of data keys. Um, also, we found that the number of paths, as you can see from the second picture from the top, um, the number of paths do not have an impact on the total time. And as you can see from the bottom two pictures, performance not, uh, not heavily affected affect by firmware size. Um, firmware size here we mean the number of binaries in a firmware sample and the total number of basic blocks. So let's see how to run Caronte. The procedure is pretty straightforward. So first you get a firmware sample, you create a configuration file containing the information of the firmware sample and then you run it. So let's see how. So this is an example of a configuration file. It contains few informations, few information, but uh, most of them are optional. The only one that are not are this one, firmware path, that is the path to your firmware. And these two, the architecture of the firmware and the base address if the firmware is a blob, is a firmware blob. All the other, all the other uh, fields are optional and you, can, and you can set them if you have some information about the firmware. A detailed explanation of all of these fields are on our GitHub repo. Once you set the configuration file, you can run Caronte. Now we provide a Docker container. You can find the link on our GitHub repo. And I, I'm gonna run it, but it's not gonna finish because it's gonna take several hours. But all you have to do is manually just run it on the configuration file. And it's gonna do each step that we saw. Eventually, I'm gonna stop it because it's gonna take several hours anyway. Eventually, it will produce a result file that I ran this yesterday so you can see it here. There is a lot going on here. Um, I'm just gonna go through some important like um, information. So one thing that you can see is that, oh sorry is that these are the border binaries that Caronte found. Now, uh, there might be some false positives. I'm not sure how many there are here, but as long as there are no false negatives or the number is very low, it's fine, it's good. In this case, wait. Oh, I might have removed something. Oh, no, it's here, perfect. In this case, this guy, HTTPD, is a true positive, which is the web server that we were talking before. Then, we have the BDG. In this case, we can see that we, the Caronte found that HTTPD communicates with two different binaries, file access, uh, .cgi, and cjbin. Then we have information about uh, the uh, CPFs. For instance, here we can see that, sorry, HTTPD. So uh, we can see here that HTTPD has 28 data keys and that the semantic CPF found 27 of them, and there might be one other here somewhere that I don't see. But anyway. And then we have a list of alerts. Now, um, thanks. Now, uh, some alerts might, might be duplicates because of loops. So you can go ahead and inspect all of them manually, but I wrote an utility that you can use which is basic, basically is gonna filter out all the loops for you. Now I have to remember how I called it. This guy, yeah. And here you can see that in total generated, the system generated uh, six, seven, eight alerts. So let's see one of them. 
Oh, and I recently realized that the path that I'm reporting on the on the log, it's it's not the path from the setter binary to the getter binary to the to the sync, but it's only related to the getter binary up to the sync. Um, I'm gonna fix this in the next days and report the whole path. Anyway, so here we can see that the key content type contains user input and we have and is passed in an unsafe way to the sync address at this address. Now, and the binary in question is called file access CGI. So we can see what happens there. If you see here, we have a string copy that copies the content of haystack to destination. Haystack comes basically from this getEnv. And if you see, destination comes as parameter from this function and uh, v10. And this, and this buffer, it's as big as 0x68 bytes. And this turned out to be actually a true positive. Okay. So in summary, we presented a strategy to track data flow across different binaries. We evaluated our system on 952 firmware samples and some takeaways. Um, analyzing firmware is not easy and vulnerability persists. Firmware, are, uh, we, we found out that firmware are made of interconnected components and static analysis can still be used to efficiently find vulnerabilities at scale. And finally, that communication is key for precision. This is a list of bibliography that I used throughout the presentation, and I'm going to take questions. So uh, thank you, Nilo, for a very interesting talk. If you have questions, we have uh, three microphones, one, two, and three. Um, if you have a question, please go ahead to the microphone. Um, and we'll take your question. Yes, microphone number two. Uh, do you rely on imports from libc or something like that? Or do you have some issues with like statically linked uh, binaries, stripped binaries? Or is it all semantic analysis of a function? So, okay, um, we use Angular. So for example, if you have an indirect uh, call, we use Angular to figure out what's the target. And to answer your question, like if you use libc, some, CPF, the, the, some CPFs do. For instance, uh, the environment CPF do, and it checks if the setemp or getemp functions are called. But also, we use the semantic CPF, which basically in cases where information are missing, like there is no such thing as libc, or some vendors re-implemented their own functions. We use this CPF to actually try to understand the semantic of the function, understand if it's, for example, a custom setemp. Yeah, thanks. Microphone number three. Um, in embedded environments, you often have also that the getter might work on a DMA, some kind of vendor driver on a DMA. Um, are you considering this? And second part of the question, how would you then distinguish this from your generic IPC? Because I can imagine that they look very similar in the actual code. So if I understand correctly your question, you mentioned a case of MMIO where like we where some data is retrieved directly from some address in memory. So what we found is that these addresses are usually hard-coded somewhere. So the vendor knows that, for example, from this address A to this address B, it's some data from this peripheral. So when we, found, when we find that some hard-coded address, like we think that this is like some read from some interesting data. Okay. And this would be also distinguishable from your um so the, the um, CPF, the generic CPF, would yes. be distinguishable yeah, yeah. from a DMA driver by using this uh, fixed addresses, you mean? Yeah, that's, used, that's what the semantic CPF does, among the other things. Okay, thank you. Sure. Another question for microphone number three. Um, what's the license for Caronte? Sorry? I, I checked the, the, the software license. I checked the Git repository, and there is no license oh, text at all. Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, I haven't thought about it yet. I will. Um, any more questions from here or from the internet? Okay, then a big round of applause to Nilo again. Great job.
Yeah, and so uh, if you can wrap your head around that, that was uh, a, a really, uh, it's a really great little bit of information, uh, you know. And uh, it's it, it talks about a lot of embedded devices, and uh, I, th I think that'll be useful if that's your area of concern or specialty. You know, a, a lot of significant and critical components uh, use embedded firmware, and I think that it's it's quite often most one of the most overlooked components. Uh, out there and so uh, be sure that uh, you know if you know what's going on around you right make sure that you know what's going on with your embedded firmware and what it's doing and who it's talking to right because you know who knew right who knew or who knows so there you go there's uh there there's that and uh, I don't know man so uh, you know hey you know uh, I, I think uh, you and I we, we need to go check out uh, the uh, Guana Lake Reserve over there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we haven't been over there in a while. I've got a cast net. You know what a cast net is, don't you? I do not. You do not. A cast net. So a cast net is this big, gigantic net that you have to actually learn. It's a skill that you learn, and you have to throw it in the water, and you throw it in, in, a, in a body of water, and you let the weights sink the cast net. Yeah. And then as you pull the cast net up, the net actually closes. And then, you, then you, you're able to get like shrimp and fish and. Oh, stuff. okay. Yeah. So yeah. That's, uh, that's what I'm thinking that, uh, you know, we can, you know, go do. You just throw a cast net at Guana uh, State River Park since it's open. Can we eat what we catch? We will eat what we catch, yes. So uh, we, I, I believe that's the, uh, that's the name of the game right there is um, get some, uh, like, you know, personally, locally sourced seafood, I guess. And so we'll give it a shot, uh, I guess. Yeah, for know. sure. There's no one out there, right? So it's kind of like there's no crowds. And so I'd, I, I think that there's that opportunity to sort of detach and go out there and throw the cast net and... Maybe get a sunburn. Who knows? Hopefully, where you are, you know who you are. You know. Hopefully, uh, where you are, it's nice. And if not, hopefully, it will get nice. <clears throat> I wanted to uh, just go ahead and clo uh, close out here and say thank you for uh, tuning into the show. I want to also say... Uh, uh, I wanted to say also... At this point, it's it's sort of it's sort of confusing on who you should be trusting, right? So that's that's sort of what we're all trying to get, to wade through is what's what's really what, right? And so, you know, I, I think I think you should listen to yourself and make the best choices that you can. It's um, it's definitely it's definitely a new way of thinking right now, and. You know, while some people may say things will never be the same, I disagree. I think things will be not only the same, but much better eventually. Eventually. So with that said, uh, you know, be sure to check out the website, right? You, you know the drill coming up next. Yeah. You know, join our Discord, all that jazz. You uh, got it. Hackers.xxx forward slash Discord. You got it. And also check out the... Um, the uh the show page and also there's some other links there too for you to check out as well uh we are going to get out of here we actually uh we have uh who's who's coming to deliver some five uh five guys yeah well it, that's what we got but i don't know i think it's doordash maybe okay doordash so we've got some yeah. doordash coming we, we uh so yeah there it is you know we we are still inside you know using uh extreme precautions uh, and, uh, you know, you know, uh, we've, we've just been doing everything we can to be helping the community here, uh, in Florida, in Northeast Florida. And, uh, we ask that you do the same, right? We ask that you use your skills for something good wherever you are and, uh, reach out to your, your friends and your neighbors and even people that you don't know, you know, reach out to them and try to try to do what you can to make them smile because you know if you think you have it bad someone else has it uh, just a little bit worse and then someone has it a little bit worse than them and so if you can spread some love and some caring and some sharing 
and you got a licked. What do you say about that, man? You know, a little bit of loving, caring, and yeah. sharing out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Nothing I, wrong I, with that. I, I agree. You know, uh, and uh, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about, uh, I don't know, man, the, the whole catching up on the news thing. I mean, I think we all know what's going on with news. And so I don't, I don't need to sit here and recycle, you know, crap like Apple's releasing this or be one of the talking heads talking about the latest piece of crap technology that's going to fade into existence in six months. So uh, I think we are, we are all able and smart enough to make those decisions and decide for what we want to listen to and, choose there so and that's what i wanted to say thank you for is for choosing us checking out the podcast you know we're coming up on five years and uh things you know things are are, are cool uh from the podcast perspective right we've got a lot of uh solid infrastructure going on around it and uh you know as i said in the first year that we started this that uh, we were going to be around for quite a while and uh, hey here we are going on five years so you know take that for what it's worth right and so with that said, I'm going to split out of here, uh, throw a little bit more on uh, what's been, uh, you know, hey, I've, I've got the pink podcast in the car, man, and I've just been jamming out. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I wanted to share it with everybody tonight. What do you say? You think you can run that? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. With that said, I, I want I wanted to say thank you again for tuning into the show. I love you all. My name is Gummo. I'm Crash. And we will see you next time on the show. Take care. Bye. Bye.